Jason said, this is a place to belong. A community helping others say yes to God. Jason has kicked off um, our new series called Moving Forward Together. And I just love that idea of moving forward together. I mean, it is true, isn't it, that it's a whole lot quicker to move on your own. I know this because I'm a mother of three sons. <clears throat> who even now, though they're bigger, you think they would move faster. But there's one in particular, and I'm not going to say which one. I'm look, trying really hard not to look at any of them. There's one of them who is particularly slow. And um, I was like, come on, hurry up, it's not the fastest you can go. But funnily enough, when he's running downstairs to go play FIFA, this might give it away, he can move a whole lot quicker than whenever I'm trying to get him to move along. <laughs> he keeps trying to play FIFA, but he can't do it, Pauline. That's a real point of contention. Anyway, um, but when they were smaller, I remember, like, I just remember this feeling of, oh my goodness, like trying to hurt them anywhere, especially because there was like three of them really small. And I remember in particular one day being in Mahara. Most times I tried not to ever, honestly, go out just me with the three of them, not because I didn't love them or was ashamed of them or anything like that there, but just because, just from a, from a logistical point of view, it was really hard work. I only had two hands and I had three small children. So it was like, so one day I needed to cross the road in Mahara, and I can remember this distinctly. I had a big long cardigan with um, like a belt on it. So Caleb got the belt because he was the eldest. <laughs> and I reckon he would be the most responsible. So Maddie and Mike got the hold of hand. Caleb got a belt. And I said, right, hold on that belt. And we're all going across the road together. And we all tried to get across the road. And it took me forever just to get from one side of the road to the other side of the road. And all of you mummies in the audience and daddies as well can totally, and all in the audience, in the congregation, in the gallery, here, thank you, can identify with that. Whenever you're trying to get somewhere by yourself, it's a whole lot quicker than whenever you're trying to move a whole kind of people together. And um, one of the things that I love about leading church, and one of the things I love about leading this church, is just the sense that we move together. Jason talked last week, and I really loved the talk last week. I was thinking, I'm in. I'm thinking, oh yeah, I am in, yeah, because this is my church, and I need it, so I have to be in. But even if I didn't have to be in, I was totally in after last week's talk, and um, and he talked about no heart stands alone. And I just love that as a family and as a community, as a church, we really want to be a community in a place where no one gets left behind. We don't want any of you ever to get left behind. We don't want you to get left behind because you're feeling afraid. We don't want you to get left behind because you're still not sure and you're trying to work it all out. We don't want you to get left behind because you get hurt in the process. We don't want you to get left behind just because in the business of life, sometimes it's really easy to leave people behind, isn't it? Um, any of you ever left your children behind? <laughs> Confessions? Yeah. I can name a gym a few of you, I'm not going. But anyway. <laughs> but we don't want anyone to get left behind. That's not who we are as a church and as a community. We want to move forward together. All of us. It's either all of us or none of us kind of thing. We're all in this together. And I love that God's good advice to us as we read through scripture. He teaches us about independence. No, sorry, wrong. He teaches us about interdependence. You see, the, the voice of the world and the culture that we live in is all about independence, isn't it? If it's, you know, it's all about me. It's about me and mine even. Sometimes it's broadened a wee bit wider. But actually this message of the kingdom and the message of the gospel is all about interdependence. It's about everyone. It's about all 
It's about the one another's and the one another's and the one another's. It's about being a body that's connected together. It's about a family with a purpose. It's about all those things. And, and so much of what we talk about church and so much of what we talk about community is so incredibly countercultural to what the message is that we hear out there and in the world these days. You know, I'm looking at Nigel there, he's just back from Cali. And we'll get to hear from Nigel in the next couple of weeks some of the stories and some of the things from Brian right this week delivering more stuff to the, the refugee crisis. And you only have to hear some of the conversation around the refugee crisis to see how <coughs> me focused and how it's all the conversation is about me and mine. But what if these people come and take all our jobs? What if these people come? We don't have enough room for them. What if? And it's like this conversation has become very polarized. And it's become about not about humanity. It's not become about people in need. It's become about we want to protect ourselves and we want to close our borders and we want to do all those things because it's all about me and it's all about me and it's all about me. And yet this message of the Bible, the story of God is all about us. It's all about us. You, me, him, all humanity. For Jesus came to the world to seek and to save everyone. That was for everyone. That none should perish. None. Not one person would perish. That not one person would go to eternity without knowing him. That's why he came. That's why he came. No one. Everyone. All. Interdependence, interlinked. <clears throat> you see, the truth is we can't move forward at all if we don't move forward together. There is no moving forward on our own. There is only moving forward together. Romans 12, 5 says this, Just as there are many parts to your bodies, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of, of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we each have different work to do, so we belong to each other, and each needs all the others. I love that. We are all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we each have different work to do, so we belong to each other, and each needs all the others. Turn to the person to say, do you say, you need me. <laughs> I know you did this last week, but I'm just making sure it's sticking, and you remember. Okay, that was more than, come on people, that was more than three words. Oh my goodness, 
in this world, that isn't much of a gift to some people as a bag of groceries. Did they get treated with dignity? Did they get listened to? Did they get heard of what's really going on in their life? Because the truth is, most people that come through these doors, and some weeks there's a queue of people waiting for the doors to open, how much that breaks my heart. That there would be people queuing in our town because they need food. They queue, they come up, <clears throat> they come in here, and they receive a welcome. And they receive, um, I think they receive a touch from Jesus every time they come through the doors. They get a cup of tea, they get chatted to, they get prayed for, they get listened to. And when we can, we help. But I love that it just doesn't, doesn't just happen on a Thursday. Um, I got a phone call last night um, around tea time and it was from someone in the vineyard and they were like, Michelle, I'm up the street um, and I've just met the homeless man. And I was like, right, yeah. And I said, so basically I've given them all the money I had in my purse, which wasn't that much, um, but what can we do? What can we do to help this man? Like, we need to do something to help this man. And I was like, yeah. I said, and I, I talked through some of the details that I know of, some of the agencies and some of the help that's already happening for this gentleman. And I just said, that's fantastic that you give him some money and encourage him to go and stay where they find a place to stay and do all those things. But I come off the phone and my heart was just bursting. Here was someone who was going about their business on a Saturday evening, but like I was just not that long after. I was going to pick up the Chinese. Well, actually, they were saying, huh, I have so much, and I'm running to the Chinese and the Indian, because our family can't decide. One wants one, one wants the other. And there, there's this man who's on the street. And I I love it that that's who we are, isn't it, as a community? You know, that's what propels Brian and Nigel to go and fill a, not just one truck this time, two, a camper van and a caravan, and take stuff across to France and, and, and deliver it to people who are desperately in need. It's what propels some of you to go to India. Completely out of your comfort zone. Whether it is to minister to children with profound special needs or whether it is to, to minister in villages where they don't have clean water or whether it's to do whatever those things. It's, this is what propels you. Because we have a heart for the whole world and we have a heart for God and not just our community but beyond. It's what brings the PS team here to Dungannon to go into the schools and already this week. Isn't that an amazing story how many children have been touched already? And I want to commend you for supporting that project. For all of you who have committed to give to the PS project for this year, I want to thank you genuinely from the bottom of my heart because I am so pleased that we get to do this. I'm so pleased that there's 30 children this week who were touched by the presence of Jesus because you gave money for us to be able to support this project. That's fantastic. See, God's community is and always has been God's answer to the aches in our humanity. You know that aching feeling of loneliness and of isolation and of feeling on the outside? God's answer to that is community. No one stands alone here in the vineyard. We want that to be true. And this morning, I want to talk about another high hope and expectation on this whole theme of everyone. And it's that everyone gets to play. In fact, everyone gets to play in a place to belong. Now, I thought that was a good wee phrase. Jason laughed at it last night, okay? I like, it. I like the fact that I'm putting two things together. I'm not the most creative, so I was quite chuffed with that, okay? So everyone gets to play in a place to belong. And Mike is going to show us a clip just now. 
I, I love Jesus. I love the stuff he did. I love the multiplying of food and, and the healing of the sick and getting sight of the blind, spitting in people's eyes. I, mean, I love that stuff, you know. The first time he went to church, Wimber says he expected miracles. After just three Sundays, he was frustrated. So I went up to this guy, and I pulled on his sleeve, and he had a, something on his chest with his name on it, so I figured he must know something. I said, what do they do it? He said, do what? I said, the stuff. He said, what stuff? I said, the stuff in the Bible. He said, well, uh, what do you mean? I said, well, you're multiplying the fishes and the moles and... And, and, and feed the hungry and all that stuff. What do they do? He said, oh, we don't do that. We believe in it. We pray about it, but we don't do it. And I was terribly disappointed. I said, wait a minute. You don't understand. I gave up drugs for this. <laughs> I gave up my career for this. You mean I don't get to do it? When I work for the devil, I got to do the devil stuff. If I'm working for Jesus, I want to do what Jesus did. You need, I think somebody said, the manna of signs and wonders for the Vineyard Church to survive. Is that a fair comment? I believe that the Church of Jesus Christ needs that today in order to survive. I'm going to go as far as the Bible goes. I remember at one point in our church there's an incredible outpouring of the Spirit and people were knocked all over the place and they shook and it was, I mean, it was, it looked like somebody threw a bomb in the middle of the room, frankly. I was, I went home frightened. I was up all night saying, oh God, oh God, what's happened here? What have I done? How did this happen? I've never seen anything like that or even heard of it. The next Sunday I came back to church and there were a group of people and they were waiting out in front. They were very, they were incensed. I could see how angry you were, God bless them. And they, they said, just how far is this going to go? And I remember I had my Bible in my hand. And I said, they'll go no further than this book. And they took comfort from that. I thought, haven't they read this book? <laughs> For those of you who may not know this, this, that gentleman is John Bumber. And he was the founder of the Vineyard Movement. I mean, I think in his intention, he was... He was leaving the church. He had no idea that he was actually, um, God was asking him to partner with him and start a whole movement that would go right through the world. There's been your churches in every continent in the world. There's um, about 120 in the UK and Ireland at the minute and beyond. So every continent in, in the world, there's been your churches. And uh, I just love that. I just love that there was this frustration in him. He's like, I thought it was quite funny. He said, after three Sundays, he's thinking, when are we going to get to do the stuff? I don't know about you, and I don't mean this in any way, um, in a critical way, but I was in church for probably nearly two decades before I got to see Jesus doing stuff. Before I got to see people healed, before I got to see the Holy Spirit break in on power and, and touch people's lives and mend their broken bodies and heal their marriages and do all those wonderful things that we get to see Jesus do. And I love this invitation that everyone gets to play. I love how Jesus modeled ministry to his disciples and followers and then set them out to do the same. I love Jesus' model. There was no probation period to, to, to kind of to assess their character, see how they were going, and then assess their abilities. I mean, if you read through Jesus' list of disciples, and this was just his disciples, 
I'm pretty sure there's quite a few of them would not get to lead in most churches today. <laughs> I don't know about you, but tax collectors are pretty dodgy people. I would not be letting a tax collector come in and lead a life group in Vineyard Church Stringana. Just want to make you all feel safe with that. <laughs> but Jesus did. Jesus did, didn't he? And then he gathered them all together and, and they would go along with him. And I, I was just like, Jesus sent out to 72 in Luke chapter 10. Now, that wasn't that far into Jesus' ministry. Now, they saw him do quite a bit. They saw him healing leprosy. They saw him, um, like, heal people from, like, raise from the dead, a widow's son. If you just look through just the beheadings and look what's happened. You know, they saw Jesus doing all these things. Um, they, they heard him teach. They heard him, they saw him um, heal someone who was demon-possessed. All those things. But then all of a sudden he goes, okay, so you've been watching me do these things. Maybe they got to, to do it with him. Maybe they, they were there in the room when he was healing people. Or he was in the, they were with him on the hillside when he was teaching. But then he just goes, okay, there's 72 of you and I'm sending you out. Now there's no kind of big training that I can see in scriptures here. There's no like year of um, theology training and kind of sort of thing or, you know, and, and I'm not against any of those things. Please hear me, I'm not against that. I think training's a great thing because it's, training's a great thing if it gives you the courage to go and do it. Training and, and that kind of stuff is not a great thing if it just fills your head full of knowledge. But if it helps you prepare you outwards, then I am a huge fan of training. If it's actually going to get you to go and do it, absolutely fantastic. But here's the 72 and Jesus says, okay, I don't know if he did that, but I'm imagining, he's like, right, prayed for them, anointed them with the Holy Spirit, said, away you go. Sent them off in twos. Significant again. Didn't send them off on their own. He sent them in twos. Away off you go. Go, heal the sick. Do all the things you've seen me do. And he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fate. Go. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Oh, wow. That was reassuring, wasn't it? Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Go. Go. There wasn't big preparation. It was go. You've seen me do this stuff. You've seen what I can do. I have given you my authority. I'm praying for you. I'm sending you out in power by Holy Spirit. Go. Go do the stuff. And I love that that's still the same today. I love that that's still the same today. I love Jesus' model of excitement is you just go and you'll learn on the way. You'll learn on the way. I don't know about you, but for me in my life, most of the things that I have learned probably at the most profound level has been when I've been doing something. Um, when I have been um, trying to learn something um, by reading or studying, that's been good, that's been like a good foundation and a good kind of level of, of kind of knowledge, but it hasn't been just until I was actually stepped into actually doing the thing that I really learned. Esther, you're a nurse, and I'm sure you could say this, it wasn't until you were on the wards that you actually really started to learn medicine and to know what you were doing. The same with any of you when you're doing something, isn't it? It's when you're actually doing it. And then it's, that's when the theory all becomes very important. Then you really want to make sure that you know the theory when you're actually on the ground and you're doing the stuff. You see, we, <clears throat> the church, 
We are not a refuge from the world, but a refuge for the world. I want to say it again. See, Jesus sends us out into the world because we are not a refuge from the world, but we are a refuge for the world. This world needs Jesus. This world needs Jesus. And I think every generation feels like I do, like it feels to me like never before has there been a world that needs Jesus more than today. Do you feel it? You sense it's like this world needs Jesus. Therefore, it needs us to step into all that Jesus has for us so that we can minister with this power and authority of the Holy Spirit and that we can do the same works as Jesus did. I love Jesus' mandate in Luke 4. Jesus had just returned home to Galilee after being tempted by the devil in the desert. And it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit's power. He went from being baptized by John, where he was filled with the Holy Spirit, straight into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted, and then straight back on mission into Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Jesus knew where he was from, he knew his mission, and he knew the power that was within him. And he went into his hometown, and Luke says this in Luke 4.16. When he came home to the village of Nazareth, Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. Now when I was reading over this during the week and I was preparing this talk, um, this verse really stuck out to me. And, and this, this is a wee side note this morning, okay? I want you to go with me on this. Jesus went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath. What does that tell you? Well, it tells me that Jesus was in the habit of meeting with God's people to worship God. As usual. As usual. It was his normal, his habit. Now, I want you to put your grace hat on, right? On your seat is a grace hat. Put it on. Okay, come on, play with me. Put your hat on. It's a wee bit like a, you know... Jason, I don't think you put your grace hat on. <laughs> Come on. Come on. There you go. Good man. Thank you. Thank you. As if you got like flying in the vineyard, put your grace hat on. Okay. In 12 years of doing church, and that's not that very long compared to some of my contemporaries, we have seen a new trend in church attendance in the past two years. At first I thought it was just us, just a VCD thing. But then as we met up and we talked to other pastors and other um, ministers from different denominations and different parts of, of the church, we find the same trend. And this is the trend. The church is not regularly gathered together anymore. Now by that, I don't mean the churches are not meeting regularly. They are, so every Sunday, as far as I know, all most churches are all still meeting on a Sunday morning. That's our norm and that's still happening. But it's not the usual anymore for all the church to gather together every Sunday. Now even for many who average maybe three out of four Sundays, it's dipped to maybe two out of four, or for many more actually, when you're talking to people, regular now means one in four. Now, I'm not wanting to lay guilt on any of these this morning, I'm just saying this is a trend. This is a general trend throughout churches, through different denominations and everything. <coughs> But I do want you to stop for a moment and consider why this trend might be creeping into your life if it is. Now I know some of the ways. Our lives are more and more busy. I get that. There's more and more demands on our time. There's more and more demands on us. We're, we're being told that we need, to be, we need to be healthier. So lots of people are exercising on Sunday, which is a fantastic thing. Exercise is a great thing. 
you know, we're being told that we need to spend um, quality time with our families and our children and that is totally great and that's totally right and that's another demand on us. At the same time a lot of people are finding that their work is actually taking up more and more of their time, they're needing to work long hours, more is being expected of them and it just feels there's all these expectations and all these demands on our time whenever we still have the same amount of hours in the week, don't we? We still have seven days a week, we still have 24 hours a day. So I get that Sunday becomes more of a time that's kind of squeezed. So, so it isn't the really only time that it feels like you can have time for yourself because Saturdays are spent running around doing chores or if you have a family, maybe ferrying your children like I do. I've got a taxi sign for my car and that's just ferrying your children about here, there and everywhere. But is two hours a week too much to spare? Give the grace that one. And if Jesus made the synagogue his usual practice on a Sunday, shouldn't we still be doing the same? You see, culture is shifting and changing all the time. And culture will continue to shift and change all the time. And I, I don't know a time for me personally, from I became a Christian at seven, age seven, but I don't know a time whenever things seem to be shifting and, and actually the culture almost feels to be shifting against Christianity a bit doesn't it? It seems to be before where we were the pillars of society. Now that isn't really always the case. That doesn't know how it's perceived anymore. And uh, we're being challenged that it feels like at least on a monthly basis about what we believe and what we believe in this book. And this is being challenged more and more and more. But here's the thing. This doesn't change. This book does not change. This God the God of this book, the, the story of God that's contained in this book does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And for me, there's just some things then that are absolute non-negotiables. I don't want to go into all those right now, but I'm sure your mind are going to what some of those things are at the minute where culture is pushing us on and pushing us on and pushing us on. And it feels like we're being unpopular and it feels like if we were really to tell the truth of what we really believe and what we really think, people might not speak to us anymore. I don't feel like that. I kind of do. I'm a pastor and I don't have a choice. I have to tell the truth and tell them what I really think. This doesn't change. And we are not to be led by culture. We are not to be tossed and torn by what culture is saying. But instead, we stand firm and, and, and we go by Jesus' example. And, and so for me, this is me being your pastor. Two hours in a week. Hebrews 10 says, let us not neglect our being together, as some people do, but encourage one another. You see, we can't encourage one another if we're not here to encourage one another. It's not about filling seats. It's not about us having our stats up and our numbers up. It's not so that we can go to conferences and say, oh, do you know how big our church is? None of that. But it is totally about encouraging one another. Like Jesus said last week, him and I can't encourage all of you. We get... It's supposed to be 35 minutes lot to talk, but we normally take 45, but anyway, we're working on that. Um, but we get that slot to encourage you on a weekly basis, but really, there needs to be a whole lot more encouraging going on across these rows and across these seats than that. And if you're not seeing each other, it's easy to forget about each other, isn't it? We're back to the one another. So when we back to look forward, Jesus is in his home synagogue, in his usual practice, and he stands up and he says this, 
Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favour has come. Wow, I think that's two of my favourite verses in the whole Bible. He stands up and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Who wants to bring good news to the poor? I do. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that people who are in bondage to their past, to their sin, and bondage to how other people are treating them and abuse, even people that are actually in real bondage and human slavery, whatever, Jesus came to, to release them, to proclaim freedom to those people. Who's in for that? I'm in for that. We want to see the blind see. We want to see people who can't see that physically we want blind eyes to open, but I want to see people who are blind in their minds to who God is to be able to see. It's not just the physically blind, but the, the spiritually blind. And what about those people that are not just spiritually blind to see who God is, but what about the people who believe the lies that they've been told about who they are and have forgotten that they're a child of the living God? I want those people's eyes to open to the truth of who they are and who God is. I want to see the oppressed set free. And the time of the Lord's favour, and he says, and the time of the Lord's favour has come. Jesus' mandate is now our mandate. John 14, 12 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Greater things? Have you read, like John Moore said, have you read this book? Greater things? Could you imagine walking down the street with a gun or wherever you're from and you see someone who is like in a wheelchair and you go over to them and you pray for them and they get up and walk and they never need the wheelchair again. I would love to see that. But how many, how many people see that on a Tuesday? And yet Jesus is saying greater things, greater things. And this is what I, one of the things I love about the vineyard, and one of the things that I want you to be encouraged, and this is one of our, our values that we hold really close, that everyone gets to play. All of you get to do these things. There are no superstars in the vineyard. You do know that, don't you? You're looking at me going, yeah, Michelle, we know you're not a superstar for sure. But there are no superstars here in the vineyard. There's no hierarchy. Everyone gets to play. See, this is not a tame gospel that we are called to proclaim and be part of. It's not a tame gospel. It's not like meek and mild. You know, like sometimes I think that we have we have kind of tamed down Jesus, haven't we? Yes, he was gentle. Yes, he was loving. Yes, he was merciful. But he was also incredibly controversial and really. Um, Ferocious in love is how I would describe He was loud in mercy. He's strong in his faithfulness, relentless in seeking justice, defending the weak, caring for the poor, rescuing the orphans. This is the gospel. It is not a meek and mild gospel because Jesus, because in Jesus we find a man on a mission, violently opposing the enemy and with great demonstration of power proclaiming the arrival of a new kingdom and a new king. Every miracle that Jesus did was a proclamation of there is a new king in town. 
Yes, he was driven by compassion. Yes, he was driven by love for the person. But every single miracle, every time he showed up somewhere, he was saying there's a new king in town, there is a new kingdom coming. The old age is gone. Devil, you better watch out because your days are numbered. We all get to play. We all get to play. There's this um, idea, or this is not an idea, this, this thing in scripture, and it talks about the priesthood of all believers. It talks about us being all now priests. In the Old Testament, there were priests um, who attended the temple. And in the temple, that was in the synagogue, that was the place where the presence of God was. So if you were a Levite, if you were a member of the tribe of Levi, then that was your special job. So you were kind of born into it um, and, and to be in, in that tribe who would then serve in the temple. When Jesus came, when the New Testament and, and in this new dispensation of grace that we're in right now, it says we are all priests. Priesthoods of all believers. And Jesus sends us out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And priests would have been he knew a priest was a priest because they would be anointed by the Holy Spirit. So they were taken, there was a whole ceremony and everything happened and they were anointed by the Holy Spirit. And then they became priests and they were able to attend the temple. Acts 10.37 says this, You know what has happened throughout the, the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So what does it mean to be a priest today in the vineyard here? It means you're anointed with the Holy Spirit and with his power to go around doing good and healing because God is with us. So you're all priests. Some of you are going, oh really? I don't know if I like that term. Don't argue with me. Priesthood of all believers. That's who we are. We were in Rome for Jason's birthday treat a few years back. Was your 40th? How many years was that? Five. And uh, we were in Rome and we were walking around and there's a street in Rome that's full of ecclesiastical outfitters. It's quite difficult to say. So basically it's where you go if you are part of the clergy of the Catholic Church. You go there and you get all your gear, all your robes and everything. Jason being Jason, who used to, for those of you who don't know, used to work in retail, still loves all that kind of stuff. Hmm? Oh, it was Taylor. Sorry, Michael says he was a tailor. Sorry. Jason was a tailor as well as working in retail for a while. Um, so uh, we had a, Jason had to get to go into one of these shops to kind of see what it was and everything. So we went in, and there was a sign, and it clearly said, even in Italian, I knew what it said. It said, priests only, or clergy only. Well, your man was going on in the door like, <laughs> there was going to be no stopping him. He was going on in. And I'm talking to him, going, You can't go in there. You're not a priest. And he goes, Priesthood of all believers, Michelle. And then he goes, Well, I'm not a priest. <laughs> anyway, the woman caught on to him and put him out to put that <laughs> When we first came to the vineyards about 17 years ago, I was still a church plant. There was about 20 plus people. And to be, and to be honest, in many ways, joining a church at a church plant stage, is the best way, the, actually the best part of church life to be in. Um, and I'm saying that thinking, oh, you're thinking, oh, thanks, Michelle, so this is not a church plant anymore, should we leave? No. But hear what I'm going to say is because when it's a church plant, it's kind of all hands on deck. 
you kind of just, you know, there's nowhere to hide for a start off. If there's only 20 something at least, there's kind of nowhere to hide when there's stuff that needs done. You just sort of have to jump in and, and do all that. And everybody gets to play at that stage because everybody kind of needs to play to make things happen. Otherwise nothing's going to happen and there's not going to be anything sort of functioning as a church. So we were very quickly recruited or volunteered, I'm not quite sure which one it was, anyway, to do crash, kids, welcome, and because Jason had retail experience, oh sorry, tailor experience, <laughs> you got to do the CD and book table. And sometimes we would even show up early to clean up because where we met was in a hotel and sometimes there was fights the night before and there was glass and they cleaned up and everything before church started, all the fun, all those years ago. Anyway, here's what happened for us, our story. The more we served and the more we got stuck in, the more we felt that we were investing in this church, this new church that we just became a part of. And actually the more I felt knitted in to the church. And this was with three kids under three in tow. We travelled 40 minutes to get there on a Sunday morning, but it was our church. It wasn't a place we visited on a Sunday. This was our community, our tribe, our family. And so it felt totally normal and it felt totally natural that of course we'd roll up our sleeves and just do whatever needs to be done. Five years later, we planted BCD. And one of the things that Jason and I longed for and prayed for was for a church that would love and, love and serve each other and this community. And that's who you are. It's totally who you are. You show up, you serve, you love, you give not just each other in this church but beyond these four walls, and in fact beyond again into throughout the world. You go beyond yourselves regularly, you're vulnerable, you risk, you embrace the awkward, even though we all hate embracing the awkward, don't we? I know this, I know your stories, I know you embrace the awkward, I know the stories of you offering to pray for a family member the first time and how that you felt sick in your stomach and you were sure they were going to put you out of the house and all those things. And yet when they said yes, you were shocked and even more shocked than when Jesus turned up and touched them. I know these stories. You see, deep down, each one of you sitting here this morning, each one of you are a part of Vineyard this morning, you know that you were born and created for something more than yourself, don't you? And that when you were reborn into this family of God, then you were reborn into a full-blown mission. And that mission is to bring the lost children home to the Father. Being part of Vineyard is not the easy option. I know that. Many of you have faced ridicule and even some opposition from your families. And you wouldn't have been here long, you wouldn't have been coming along here very long for very many Sundays before you'd realise that it's not just a place to come and spectate, but actually there's an expectation that you're actually going to live out this God stuff from Monday to Sunday. <coughs> that there's an expectation that you're going to roll up your sleeves and get stuck in. We are not a church plant anymore, but at this stage of church life, you can choose to pour yourself into the things that are more your passion, rather than just all hands on deck. See, there's no probation period here at the vineyard. There's no probation period. You don't have to be here six months before you can welcome someone at the door or help set out chairs. You don't have to be here for two years before you get to host a group, a life group or a small group in your home, just ask the Bernies. <laughs> and I host, host and pulse. You don't have to have done a course 
before you get to hit the streets of Big Surf or go out with the encounter changer on the week when Cheryl's gone out. You don't have to have um, done a, a, a three-week course to go out and help the guys in nightlight. You just rock up, you show up, you get stuck in, and you get involved. You're not going to be stepping on anyone's toes. You don't even have to wait to be invited. You just show up, roll up your sleeves, and get stuck in. Because everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. And it's not the doing that makes you belong, but it's the knowing that you belong that makes you do whatever you can. I'm going to say that again. See, it's not really the doing the stuff that makes you belong, but it's the knowing that you belong that makes you do whatever you can. Belonging is the real question. This is a place to belong. Jason talked a couple of weeks ago about this being a place where everyone belongs. There's no empty requirements here at the vineyard. Come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform you from the inside out. But belonging begins with showing up, connecting with each other, caring for each other. We celebrate each other's wins and we weep together in our sorrows. Belonging is about becoming the church, connected, messy, uncomfortable, challenging, but deeply beautiful church of Jesus. Sounds like the very best families and relationships I know. To belong is a choice. It's an action. It's a decision. Now many of you at some stage would have come to the roadmap where we used to call it the place to belong. And basically what we do there is we just introduce, and can I encourage you, we're doing one in a couple of weeks. If you've never done it or you want a refresher, come sign up, come along for that there. And it's an introduction to the vineyard, it's our history, who we are, what it means to be part of the church. More than anything, here at the vineyard, it's our desire that you belong. More than the giving, more than the showing up, more than joining a life group, more than the serving, more than anything else, we want you to belong. We just, it's not just a cool tagline, a place to belong. We actually want you to belong here. Not just here in this place, but to belong to each other. To belong to Jesus, to belong to God. <coughs> this is a church where everyone gets to play because here there is a place for everyone to belong. Everyone.